Hi, everyone. Welcome to Black Girl Joy. I'm super excited about today's episode. It's going to be a little intense. Um, so I want to just jump right in. But before I do, like, share, subscribe, follow, do all the things in all the places, and then comment to join in on the conversation. All right, so I'm going to welcome a super special guest. I'm very excited. I had to ask him a couple of times to come on. <laughs> so today we are joined by Greg Graham. Greg Graham went through the ultimate story of survival. We all have our own unique stories of survival, but his story is just so powerful. So you're going to hear about his journey from stroke to superhero. So let me welcome Greg Graham, the AVM superhero and host of Death Taught Us How to Live. Hey, sis, how you doing? I'm good. Don't be laughing at me. <laughs> I'm not laughing at you. I'm just happy to be here. Awesome. Awesome. So, Greg, I want you to start by, I talked about AVM Superhero. Can you give us a quick synopsis of like your story and what happened to you? And I'm going to give you the screen and I'll show a picture. Okay, that's cool. Um, well, I had what's called an 8VM rupture in my cerebellum. That's called an arterial malformation. And only 1% one one of the world's population has this particular um, disease. Um, most likely you're conceived with it. And um, for 41 years, I had this inside of my head. I did not know until it actually ruptured. On one faithful night or unfaithful night on November 27, 2017, I was driving. Um, from Indiana back to my home in Atlanta and I was talking to my mother and her friend and we was talking about this girl that went to school with me that had two strokes that go to her go to her church and I was just saying to her you know wow you, that woman is pretty young to have a stroke uh, I'm surprised that you know that happened to her and then all of a sudden my head started hurting me really bad and um, I couldn't do anything to alleviate it so I, I got some water, started drinking it while I was driving on the highway. And my mom heard me and she, the, the sound that was coming out of my mouth was very bad. So she told me to pull over and call 911. So at that time I called 911, I pulled over to the side of the road and I asked the 911 operator, am I going to die? She said, I don't know, hopefully you're not. Cause I knew I was having a aneurysm cause I had a friend that had an aneurysm and an eruption. They told me it was a excruciating pain more worse than any headache that you can imagine. So that's what I was having. So um, the 911 operator stayed on the line with me, called my um, then wife and told her what's going on with me. Um, you know, I had to hang up the phone with my mother so I could imagine what my mother was going through at that time. And it took about 20 minutes time I didn't feel any um, resentment or any jealousy or any anger towards anything in life. Um, death was welcoming. It, it felt like a thing that I, I needed to go to, like God was calling me. Life was changing right before my eyes. You know, it was, it was weird because the smells was different. The, the grass was greener, the sky was blue. It was like I was transitioning, it was comforting. So, you know, as you might've heard through different stories of people telling you in the movies, that, um, you know, you, your life flashes before your eyes. You know, exactly what happened. I started thinking about my mother. I said, she'll be okay if I die. I thought about my ex-wife. I said, she'll be okay. I thought of my dad. I said, he'll be okay. And then I thought about my children. I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. I, I can't die. I can't go yet. 
it's just, it's not time for me. So I turned to my right, just like I'm talking to you right now, um, Joy. Um, I asked God, I said, God, uh, give me another chance. I need to live for my daughters. And as clear as you introduced the show, I heard him say, okay. So after I heard that, you know, things started reverting back. You know, the, the green grass wasn't that green. The skies wasn't that blue. And I was still in pain, but I stopped worrying about death because I knew God said, you'll be okay. So I was fine with that. You know, the thing that I'd never asked for was, was I going to be okay as in with health of my body? Because right now, the left side of my body, from my neck all the way down to my toes, is all spasms. So I feel pain 24-7. But I was able to live to be for my daughters. So they airlifted me to the hospital to find out that I had a stroke, an AVM rupture, and they did an operation on me through my groin to go to my brain to um, do what's called an embolization. And then about... Six weeks later, they I was able to be transported back to Atlanta because I was in Kentucky at this particular time. And when I got back to Atlanta, um, I went to this hospital called Emory Hospital. It's a, it's a hospital, it's a university hospital, a teaching hospital. And they did a craniotomy for me and they removed the AVM. And also I have what's called hydrocephalosis. That means that you cannot transform your brain fluid into spinal fluid. Um, so I have a a shunt inside of my head that drains into my stomach. Oh, wow. Yeah. So I'm going to show this picture of you, but can you remind me how long it took you to just to be able to walk again? Um, about, uh, without any assistance, probably about nine weeks. And this is when I was actually in rehab when my up there to see me so i had my stroke in november this was probably in february yeah i remember hearing about that oh my gosh what happened you never think about these things happening to people close to you or just the extreme like case you had it was yeah i mean it's it's been a journey and i've watched you so just a question you talked about like the bright skies and like just how different it was and you also have this show called death taught us how to live what does that mean to you death taught us how to live yeah that's that's a good question because um at first i wanted to just talk to stroke survivors and find out what their stories were but it morphed into anybody that went through the same type of transition of life understanding that they were so close to death and now they have transformed their life to see that life is really precious. They're not in control when they're going to die or anything like that. So death taught us how to live is a basically people coming together, teaching other people how to not take for granted for each and every day that they have. So when you sticking with the death taught us how to live, what did your experience teach you about living? Ooh, um, that, you can't take any day for granted. No, I didn't wake up that morning and say, you know what? I'm going to have a stroke and it's going to be very bad for me. I'm not life is going to be completely different. So I, I didn't know the time or the place that I'm going to die. So people worry about things like, well, I can't do that because people might look at me differently or I can't do this because I can't afford to. Whatever. I'm like, live your life. So that's what death taught us how to live. Like, we're not holding back anymore because we don't know the time or the place that it's going to be taken from us. 
No, that's super interesting. And you know, I went through my experience with my mom, right? And so that was like a three-year process, three to four years of watching someone, you know, die, which is very, very traumatic. And I think that I can, I came away with a similar feeling that though you went through the experience personally, which is totally different, right? And you had an experience that was almost sounds euphoric, right? So you have this like euphoric experience of what death is. I don't have that part. But but definitely in the process of watching my mom go through what she went through, it really um it it really reset some things for me. So the things I was scared of doing, like streaming online, <laughs> right? Or even just little things like that, like starting my own company. The things that I was very afraid to do, it's like, okay, might as well do them, right? Because right. you don't want to be at the at the end and you're like, well, I should have did this, 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 and this. I want to be focused on all the stuff I did do. And so that was a big thing for me. Yes, I get that, Joy. Because what, what happened with me, because um, when I had this AVM rupture, I used to pull up my feeding tube out my mouth. So they handcuffed me to my bed oh, and I was wow. handcuffed for about four weeks. But at that time, I was thinking to myself, I'm like, man, I don't want to be in this position ever again and say, I didn't do this. I didn't do that. I didn't accomplish these goals that I always wanted to do, but I was hesitant. So, yeah, that's really the main focus of it, just being able to move forward. And you understand that now, as you see what happened with your mother, and it was a slow process. And you're like, oh, I don't want that to happen to me without me doing whatever I need to do. So I get it. I get what you're saying. Oh, we have a question. Do you do you think you know if something triggered your stroke? You so, so that question is very good. Um, no, nothing triggered my stroke because... This wasn't something, and I think people have the misconception of what a stroke is, as many different types of forms. They have what's called an ischemic stroke, and you have what's called a hemorrhagic stroke. Ischemic stroke is when you have high blood pressure or blood clots or anything like that, while a hemorrhagic is when you have a, a AVM rupture or aneurysm. My stroke was caused by something that I was conceived with. Now, I'm 46 years old and didn't rupture until I was 41. And it was it's a ticking time on this in my head. So if you look up AVM, arteriovenal malformation, only 1% of the world's population has this. So there was nothing I could do or say to stop this from happening. So for my, no, there was no warning signs. Yeah. And so don't live in fear, take risk and live. I love that you guys are commenting. I love that. Um, so another thing that I got from my experience, I'm just interested because I, I know you, like, I, I know you. And so for me, one of the things I took away also were, it really helped me, and I don't know if you ever struggle with this, that's why I say I know you, but it really helped me with boundaries and not boundaries in a sense of, I guess the traditional sense of boundaries, but for me, I kind of always wanted to do what people wanted me to do. Right. Mm. So it's like you may not think of me that way because I seem very demanding at times. But, <laughs> but but I did like I wanted to satisfy people. So it'd be times where or I was looking for fulfillment through satisfying other people. Right. So I won't put it on them. I put it on me. It made me feel, you know, it made me feel needed and appreciate it and a value when I filled up my calendar <laughs> with fifteen hundred things to do and I'm tired, but someone needs me to do this. Okay. 
okay, I'll do it. Yeah, sure. You know, like I just carry around this guilt and weight of needing to satisfy people. And so I think through my experience, it taught me too that time is limited. And so people will figure it out. So did you have any um, revelations with boundaries? Boundaries? I don't I guess with the explanation you have, I don't know if I necessarily call it boundaries, but expectations for my life. Yes, mm-hmm. um, I had these revelations. And the one thing that I came to, and I, and it really opened up my eyes completely because, like I said, I was married before. And um, I knew that our relationship was really strained and we really wanted to separate from a long time ago, but we just held on. But I was thinking right before I was going to die, I was like, dang, there's two things that I'm really regretting right now. One is that I'm not teaching my daughters everything I could possibly teach them. And two, that I'm going to die without truly being in love. So I'm like, whoa, this is not cool. That's deep. It is very deep. So once I got to that revelation, I'm like, once if I get through this or when I do get through this, I'm going to have to let my my ex-wife go. I'm going to let her live her life so she can find whoever she needs to find. And I also have to find my peace and find my love as well. Because what we're doing is just wasting time and we never know what it's going to be called. So, yeah. That's deep. Because I would have thought, let me tell you how I think men should think about me in my life. <laughs> I mean, like, they're going to be on their deathbed. Like, the last thing they're going to think about is, man, I should have. I should have wiped her. Like, and your experience is like such the opposite that I would never think about it that way. Like, what relationships, and not just, right? That's a romantic relationship, right? It's significant. Mm-hmm. But like, what relationships should I have let go of so that I can truly live in a space of satisfaction and fulfillment and all that? So I would have never thought about that. Because I always like, but that's what we have to think about, um, Joy. Because if we don't think about that, you know, once that day comes, I'm like, man, I really messed up. I was living for other people, but I wasn't fulfilling myself. You know, why are we here? Are we here to actually fulfill other people? Or like when you get on the airplane, what they say, put your mask on first before you talk about someone else. That's how I live life now. I got to put my mask on. That's deep. That's the, and it, it makes me question everything I thought about every guy. <laughs> let me stop. This is on LinkedIn. So let, let me, let me rein that back in. Let me rein that back in. So, no, that's very interesting. So, like, going through tragic experience, to me, it's like this, it literally is like a journey, right? So it's a journey, like, from grief to anger, why this happened to me, to, like, pushing to survive, I forgot the exact hierarchy to like- I got it, denial, anger, uh, bargaining, depression, and acceptance. So it's been how long for you? Um, This year will be five years. And do you feel like you're at the acceptance stage? I've been at acceptance about three years ago. Okay, so was there anything around you, um, whether it be spiritual, emotional, like what helped you navigate those spaces? Um, Friends. That's all. That's that's real. Intelligent friends. Oh, okay. Like me. <laughs> no, no, no. And you want to know. No, yes, absolutely. No, no, seriously. You know, because there are some people that will say, oh, you had a brain injury? Well, I got a scar on my head, too. I'm like, why are you telling me this? No, that, you can't you can't compare, like, you bumped your head on the wall versus going through brain surgery. So when you have good friends that's actually willing to listen to you and understand that, hey, you're not the same person as you was before, even though I look, I look strong. I look like 
I could walk through buildings and walk through walls and everything, but I can't. It's just my body looks the same, but inside is only completely messed up. So having great friends that understand that and are patient with you it was very vital for my uh, recovery. Do you feel like the people who were like, oh, I have a scar on my brain. I went through that with depression. Like, oh, I feel sad, too. You know, right, <laughs> or right, right, you right. should you know, drink this tea. You'll feel better. Do you feel like they were trying to find a way to um, like it may have been awkward, but find a way to relate to you? Or do you feel like they were just like, OK, yeah, we all got problems? Um, I think they was trying to relate to you, but their perspective of life was totally jaded. So they don't understand how to actually speak to you mm -hmm. because it works for them. So it obviously has to work for you. And they don't understand that everybody is different and everybody has different issues that have different traumas that you might have some traumas in your life that led to your depression that they don't have a clue about. Mm -hmm. So what they are trying to prescribe to you doesn't work for you. So that's why I was talking about intelligent friends. So they don't try to put their viewpoint on you, but they allow you to speak and allow you to come to a conclusion on your own or try to give you some steps to get to that conclusion. So emotionally intelligent too, yes. right? Yeah. Yes. No, that's really, what was the thing, this is like on a different note, like what was the thing that annoyed you most about people's responses besides the, you know, I got a scar on my head? Well, at least you're alive. Yeah. That, 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 that ticks me off when they say, well, at least you survived. Yeah. Like, I survived? Okay. I used to make $100,000 a year. Now, I don't. I used to have four houses. Now, I don't. Yeah. I can't take a woman out to dinner. <laughs> Before, I could take her across the world if I wanted to. So, yeah. a lot of things have changed in my life that I had to adjust overnight. Mm. Um, and that, when people say to me, at least that you survived, I'm like, well, this is a different life. You know, you don't understand how my life is completely different right now. So I have to adjust to that. So they don't understand that. So whenever they say that to someone that's become disabled, that's the worst thing to say. So I'm going to go on a slightly different track. And you can pull me in if you like, no, this is off base. But there, a couple of years ago, there was this whole um, social media kind of campaign about the mental health of Black men, right? Mm -hmm. And how, like, Black men... They don't really get that sympathy or that empathy that they need or that that kind of outlet to express either their emotions or what's going on in their life and receive like a gracious, you know, humble response and understanding response. Do you feel like that's what you got from a lot of people? Well, unfortunately, I, or fortunately, I have some great female friends, so mm -hmm. it wasn't from women that was giving me that I was getting empathy from women is the male friends that was really bad for me. Really? Um, yeah. Cause they couldn't understand it. Cause once again, you, you know me, I, I'm an alpha male. I'm, I'm, I'm ready to do things. And if someone comes to me, you know, say, Greg, we need to take care of this. I'm really the person that's going to really take care of it. And now mm -hmm. I can't. So now they don't know how to adjust to me be, I guess the beta male, what not the alpha male anymore. While women, the women that I had in my life understand like, oh, you're different and I can't treat you as such, but you're still intelligent. You're still a compassionate man. So I need to treat you as a black man. And and I, I, I was fortunate to have women in my life that were that way. I just had to understand that um, 
sometimes and some women had trauma within themselves mm -hmm. that they haven't gone through or really dealt with. Yeah. And they were reflected on me and I had to be able to be strong enough to actually understand that they are going through something themselves. So I can't reflect that on myself. I want to dig, dig in it so bad because I'm like, that's very vague, but it sounds very personal. So, no, no, no. It's, it's life. I, I'm, open, I'm an open book. But when you say women projected kind of their trauma on you, do that does that mean they were trying to take care of you because they were trying to work? What does that mean? No, they get... Uh -oh. I'm, I'm very... I'm very... It's... It's weird because my filter is off. I don't have any filter anymore. Mm -hmm. So I'll ask questions that really probe and ask you honest questions. And mm -hmm. sometimes people will get mad at the questions. I'm like, okay, I get it. There's something that's behind that story that mm -hmm. you have within yourself you haven't dealt with. That's why you're mad at me. That's why you're taking it back out of me. Mm. But I, if I didn't understand that, then I'll go back and forth with you and argue with you. And that's the argument is not really between you and I. It's between you and your past. So I had to understand that. And once that I got through that, that was good. Do you know how many people don't understand that? <laughs> Do you understand? Like, and I, I project a lot, I, I admit, but a lot of people don't understand that a lot of times conversations people have and they really ain't even having them with you. It's something internal that they're trying to work out, which is why I'm a huge proponent of therapy. Um, I am a huge proponent of therapy. It helped me work through some of my stuff did you ever um, seek out therapy or any Absolutely. type of counseling? You went to Absolutely. therapy? Absolutely. That was the most important part of my recovery, um, Joy. That was the most important. I didn't really care about the physical part because I knew I was going to walk again. I knew I was going to be able to swallow. Mm -hmm. again. I knew everything was going to happen for me again. The problem I had was, how can I protect my daughters? Oh, yeah. My daughters, are. if you ever seen my daughters, like I'm 6'4". My daughters... One of them is 4'11", and she's 17 years old. So my girls are tiny, 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 <laughs> tiny. So I was very scared that I was going to walk down the street and someone would grab them up and run away with them, and I couldn't do anything about it. So I had to get past it. So I went through a lot of um, therapy for that, just to understand that I was adequate as a man. And once I got past that I was adequate as a man, everything else fell into place. So, yes, I'm an advocate for therapy as well, too. So adequate for a man, what does that mean for you? Well, all right. Let's just say I'm trying to date you. That's the first thing you're going to be like, where do you work? Do you have your own house? Yeah. Uh, do you have this uh, structure? You know, what are your plans? What are your goals? I don't have those things. So automatically, I'm thinking to myself, I'm not a man. Mm. But now I had to think about it. I'm like, I went through some really big time stuff with yeah. my life. So if I'm going to talk to a woman and she can't accept that, then it's not that I'm inadequate. That means that she's not ready to deal with me and she can't be the person that I need to be with. Mm. So I had to get past that. No, that's such a good point. That is such a good point. I never thought about it like that because I, I, I'm honest and I'm vulnerable and say, I think the same thing. I'd be like, do he got a job? Do he got this? But there's so much more to people, right? Then, like, I wouldn't think of you as... I don't think of them as less than a man. I just be like, well, I got kid and bills, right? But right. <laughs> but equating well, that, we often equate that to our value. You laughing? I don't know what you're finna say. We often equate that to our value is 
Do we have a job? Are we stable? For you, it's protection. For me, because I have a kid and I'm a single mom, it's a provider, right? I got to provide. I got to provide. I got to raise them right. Um, so that's very, that's, I'm, again, bringing up stuff I have never thought of. So that's what the show, my show is all about. Death taught us how to live. It's trying mm -hmm. to teach people um, or get rid of the stigma of what we think what a man's role is and what a woman's role is. It's about how we com um, c are compatible with each other and growing within our life, make sure our goals are actually achieved. Um, that That is the real purpose of what I'm trying to do here. So there's a lot of men out there, my age or older or even younger, that has lost everything because they had brain trauma and they're trying to fit back into society. You know, their wife left them, the children are ignoring them now, they don't know what to do. So how do they actually get back into society? How do they go in the dating market? Do they say, hey, you know what? I like you, but I had a stroke. What's the first thing a woman's gonna say? Oh, man, you had a stroke? Now, a guy doesn't want to actually uh, convey that to a woman because now she he's thinking, well, she can't be protected by me and she thinks that she can't be protected, so why would she wanna deal with me? She's gonna probably have to put a diaper on me or something like that, but I, I don't need a diaper. But that's what that's what automatically comes into people's minds. So now we have to really think about that. Go ahead. Yeah. No. And I was thinking about it from the opposite view, as in like the woman who likes the caretake, right? So when you say it, I'm like, it's some woman out there, like, oh baby, I take care of you. Yeah, <laughs> that's, that's the right that's woman. <laughs> that's the one you want. That's the one I want. Look, I put I put Grace contact in the chat. No, so don't do that. Don't do that. Don't do that. <laughs> I put I'll your well, I put your links. Money. I put your links in the chat. But the super AMV superhero. So yeah. I know I only have you for thirty minutes, and that just got into a whole new subject of like dating. What do you tell? What do you tell women? Straight up, I tell them I had a stroke. And what they what they responses. Some some are uh, accepted to it, receptive to it, and some are like, oh, okay, bye, and that's fine with me. Yeah, I mean, you would rather be upfront, but yeah, I'm cool. I got no time to waste anybody's time. So if you don't like it, cool, bye. Wow. If you like it? Okay, let's keep on going. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Relationships must be based on First Corinthians. I love that. Oh, I love that verse. Do you know that verse? Love is patient. Love is kind. Huh? I don't, but it's pretty cool. I'm looking at it now. Yeah, I love that verse. I learned it from a Destiny's Child song, as it's scripted. <laughs> <laughs> I learned the whole thing from a Destiny's Child song. Now that is crazy. I hear, hey, you. I hear you, though. I hear get you. it how you live, right? Like, you got, hey. it. got it somehow. Hey, that's how you like right. it. I love it. So, I guess as we wind up, what would be your advice to anybody going through a traumatic experience? Um, if you're going through a traumatic experience, you need to see, seek counseling and get wise counsel. Um, do not lead it to your own understanding and don't let your subconscious destroy you. Don't ever say that I can't say I'm not able to do it yet. Mm, and therapy. I'm adding therapy. Therapy, I think, you gotta get counsel. I think everybody needs a therapist. I'll go to my therapist more than I go to my primary care doctor, any other doctor. Absolutely. I'm going to see her. <laughs> I'm going to see her. Um, all right. And so last thing for you, I want to know what brings you joy today? As what a brings me joy today? Um, <laughs> I got so many different layers with that, uh, with that question. Uh, what brings me joy is uh, seeing people that I know uh, 
become great. Like I'm watching you. I, I, I've known you for many years and you're becoming great. You're coming out your shell and you're doing whatever you need to do to actually prosper as yourself. I love seeing that. I'm, I'm blessed to see another day that I've been given five more years of life that I wasn't not supposed to get. And I'm seeing this. So I'm blessed with that. That brings me joy. All right. So everybody follow Graham. I, I said, follow Graham. Follow hey, Greg. Graham. I'm going to um, show his link. So he's on Instagram, YouTube, and TikTok, all as AVM superhero, Greg Graham. He gives out care baskets every month. Can you tell us I about do. the care baskets as we wrap up? Okay, I can. Um, so what I do each and every month, I do a lottery on Instagram Live around my birthday, the 24th of every month. Um, my birthday is actually August 24th this month. And what I do is spend about two years. I give out free caregiver baskets to caregivers or stroke survivors. Uh, and the reason why I do that is because I know that caregivers go through a lot and nobody really recognizes that. They always look at the patients of the caregiver. So I'm giving back to them. So if you do want to donate or anything like that, check me out on Instagram, AVM underscore superhero, and check me out on my DM and see how you can be a part of it. Do you have a cash app? Uh, I do. It's Big Elish. It's no, sorry. Big G. B-I-G. Hold on. B-I-G. G-E-E. G-E-E. 8080. 8080. Now, when I put this in the in the chat, please tell me um, if it's correct. So, and I'm going to display it so you see it. Is that right? Yep. All right. So here's a cash app so you can donate to the caregiver basket. Yes, ma'am. All right. All right. Well, Greg, I am super like gracious and humbled that you graced me with your presence today. It's been an amazing conversation and maybe we'll have another one because I want to get all into this like dating, like absolutely. all, you know, I love those topics. <laughs> I know, I know, absolutely. But I, I want to say one thing before I leave. Yes. I was not rejecting you. You was rejecting me. I always wanted to be on your show. <laughs> no, I text you and you never responded. <laughs> Let's be clear. Let's clear this up on national hey, international hey, hey, web. Hey, hey, hey. My word against yours is not what I, you know, what you can do. I got the receipts. <laughs> Auntie, I got receipts. Okay. I don't know if it was this phone or my old phone, but I got receipts. Okay. I got you, sister. I got you, sis. All right. You. Well, thank everyone for watching. Please share, like, share, subscribe, follow, wherever it is, all the places, do all the things. And um, thank you to Greg. We'll see you guys next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.